131, 131. Thanks for coming this morning. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Surely I behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. Gracious God, bless this last class of this season as we look once more at another theme uh, related to the Puritans, the Puritans on work and, and money and how we should handle it. Please give practical insights and help us and teach us by thy Holy Spirit. Also in everyday matters, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Dr. Leland Riken will... Uh, take us on Puritans on Work and Money for 15 minutes on a video. And then uh, by that time, the rest of the classes will be up in the main sanctuary. If you need to leave at that point to go over there, you're welcome to. Otherwise, I'll just add a few thoughts as I normally do. And we'll just carry on to the end of this session. This will be the last class for the um, season. And then the next season, God willing, uh, come end of August, we'll do the second half. We actually got half the course done right now. Okay? Yes? Is the intention that the parents join next door? You can. Some, especially parents of very young children tend to join. Um, it's, it's, I'm just giving you the option. That don't be embarrassed if you feel you have to walk out. But um, we'll carry on to 1130. Okay? Can we have the lights? Thank you. and money in Puritan thinking and practice. The subject of this lecture is Puritan thinking and practice on two subjects with which the Puritans are particularly associated. Those subjects are work and money. I will take these two interrelated topics in sequence. I remember sitting in a discussion group in which the subject turned to the Puritan view of work and one of the people in the circle said something to which I have frequently returned. This person began by saying with great confidence, we all know that the Puritans, and then he proceeded to state a commonly held fallacy about the Puritans. On most subjects, we do not all know what the Puritans taught. Misconceptions about the so-called Puritan work ethic have arisen because what has prevailed for the past three centuries is a secularized version of the original Puritan work ethic. 
What was the original Puritan work ethic? That is the question I will answer in the first half of my lecture. The first thing to note is that Puritan attitudes toward work were revolutionary in their day. In the Catholic Middle Ages, a cleavage developed between so-called sacred and secular spheres. In this framework, sacred work was what the monks and clerics did. Secular work, decidedly inferior, was what the rest of the population did. Here is how Eusebius codified the situation in the fourth century. Two ways of life were given by the law of Christ to his church. The one is above nature and beyond common human living, wholly and permanently separate from the common customary life of mankind. It devotes itself to the service of God alone. This is the perfect form of the Christian life. And the other, more humble, more human, permits men to have minds for farming, for trade, and the other more secular interests, as well as for religion. And a kind of secondary grade of piety is attributed to them. One of the primary contributions of the Puritans on the subject of work was to demolish this sacred-secular dichotomy and to assert the worthiness in God's sight of all legitimate types of work. William Tyndall said that if we look externally, there is difference betwixt washing of dishes and preaching of the word of God, but as touching to please God, none at all. William Perkins was of the same opinion when he wrote, the action of a shepherd in keeping sheep is as good a work before God as the action of a judge in giving a sentence or a magistrate in ruling or a minister in preaching. I will summarize my first point in regard to Puritan thinking about work with the formula, the sanctity of common work. For the Puritans, all of life was God's. Richard Steele claimed that it was in the shop, quote, where you may most confidently expect the presence and blessing of God. The broader context within which the Puritans declared the sanctity of all types of work was their doctrine of calling or vocation. In this view, the tasks and roles that people find placed before them by the circumstances of life are something to which they have been called by God. This includes one's chief job or livelihood, but it extends beyond that to all work and every obligation. The Puritans developed a well-thought-out framework of two types of vocation or calling. They called one of these the general call to conversion and discipleship that comes in the same form to every person. In a book entitled A Treatise of the Vocations or Callings of Men, William Perkins defined the general calling this way. The general calling is the calling of Christianity, which is common to all that live in the Church of God. The general calling is that whereby a man is called out of the world to be a child of God, a member of Christ, and heir to the kingdom of heaven. This calling belongs to everyone within the compass of the Church. Richard Steele's definition of the general calling is similar. I quote, our general or spiritual calling is whereby a person is called of God to believe and obey the gospel. It is termed our general calling because this is common to all Christians, requires of all the same duties, and obliges all to the same conditions. In addition to the general calling to the Christian life, 
People have been given particular callings to their work and tasks in the world. Again, we can allow William Perkins to give us the agreed-upon definition. A vocation or calling is a certain kind of life ordained and imposed on man by God for the common good. One effect of this doctrine of calling is that it makes every worker a steward who serves God. Work becomes part of one's relationship to God and is therefore part of one's spiritual life. Puritan preacher John Cotton put it this way, A person, therefore, that serves Christ in serving of people, doth his work sincerely as in God's presence, and as one that hath an heavenly business in hand, and therefore comfortably, as knowing God approves of his way and work. Before I leave the Puritan doctrine of vocation, I need to note a further aspect of it. Within the framework of a general calling and particular callings, the Puritans maintained the primacy of the general calling to the Christian life. John Dunham wrote that the duties of our particular callings must give place to the general calling of Christianity. No calling must call us from God or withdraw us from this blessed fellowship. George Swinnock said similarly that the general calling must reign in the city, in thy heart, thy particular calling only in the suburbs of thy hands. And Williams Perkins called the general vocation the most excellent calling in the world, adding that the particular calling of any man is inferior to the general calling of Christian because we are bound unto God in the first place. In addition to asserting the dignity of all legitimate work and the doctrine of vocation in regard to work, the Puritans also presented a unified front on the subject of the goal or end of work. The Puritans claimed three goals for work arranged into a hierarchy of value. In our callings, we glorify God, we serve the public good, and we meet the physical needs of our own lives. The key concept is service. Richard Steele wrote, the ends you should aim at in every particular calling are these three, first and chiefly, the glory of God. A second thing you should aim at is the common good. And then, thirdly, you may aim at your own good. Direct all to a right end, the honor of God, the public good as well as your own private commodity. And then, every step and stroke in your trade is sanctified. The main end of our lives, wrote William Perkins, is to serve God in the serving of men in the works of our callings. Some man will say perchance, what? Must we not labor in our callings to maintain our families? I answer, this must be done. But this is not the scope and end of our lives. The main end of our lives is to do service to God and serving of men. John Preston was of the opinion that our aim must be, be God's glory and the public good. I will round out my comments on work by briefly refuting two common misconceptions that are often claimed by people who mistakenly think that we all know what the Puritans said about work. First, the Puritans did not believe people earned success in work through their own efforts and merit, an attitude that today goes by the label the self-made person. On the contrary, the Puritans believed that success in work came solely by God's grace and providence. Cotton Mather wrote, In our occupations we spread our nets, but it is God who brings unto our nets all that comes unto them. Secondly, although the Puritans were indeed hardworking, so that a contemporary could accurately call them the industrious sort, 
They were not workaholics who never took a break from work. The Puritans endorsed an ideal of moderation in work. John Preston warned, take heed of too much business or intending it too much or inordinately. Philip Stubbs similarly wrote that every Christian is bound in conscience before God not to allow his immoderate care to surpass the limits of true godliness. Now the Puritan lifestyle, a combination of thrift, self-denial, and hard work, did make the Puritans relatively successful people. It is therefore no wonder that they devoted serious thinking to the subject of money. In summarizing what the Puritans thought about money, I will ask and answer three questions. Question number one, is money good or bad? The answer, money is good in principle and if gained and used in keeping with Christian values. Richard Baxter thus claimed that all love of riches is not sin, for the works of God are all good as such. American Puritan Samuel Willard said that riches are consistent with godliness, and the more a man hath, the more advantage he hath to do good with it. And William Perkins wrote that goods and riches are the good blessing of God being well used. Question number two, is wealth a danger to the soul? In view of what I have already said, it may come as a surprise to learn that the Puritans were obsessed on the subject of the dangers of money. Before I develop this, let me clarify that it was not money that the Puritans regarded as the problem, but excessive devotion to it, false trust in it, and selfish spending of it on oneself. Richard Baxter warned, remember that riches do make it harder for a person to be saved. Samuel Hiram composed a model prayer for rich people that included this statement, apt I shall be to lift up my heart, to pride myself in my own conceit, to trust unto my wealth, to despise others, to grow in love with this present world because thou hast enriched me. Part of the case against wealth that we find in the Puritans is an awareness that it generates an appetite that it cannot satisfy. Thomas Watson wrote, the soul is a spiritual thing. Riches are of an earthly extract. And how can these fill a spiritual substance? Riches cannot fill the longing of the soul. Richard Baxter enjoyed enjoined labor to fill your greatest wants, which worldly wealth will not satisfy. If wealth is dangerous, shouldn't a person simply despise money? Not according to the Puritans. It is the misuse and misprising of money that need to be avoided. William Ames theorized that riches are things which men may use either well or ill. Thomas Adams told his city congregation, we teach you not to cast away the bag, but covetousness. Thus far, I have answered two questions as follows. Is money good in principle? Yes, and therefore it should be embraced as potentially good in our lives. Is money dangerous to the soul? Yes, and therefore we need to avoid the dangers while still endorsing the potential that ha money has to be good. The final question for which I have time is this. According to the Puritans, what is money for? What is the purpose of money? A summary answer is that the Puritans thought that money existed to do good to society and the kingdom of God. For the Puritans, money was primarily a social good, not a private possession. 
One of them said that money exists for the glory of God and the good of others. Richard Baxter claimed that riches may enable us to relieve our needy brethren and to promote good works for church and state. William Perkins expanded on these summary concepts when he wrote, Our riches must be employed to necessary uses. These are, first, the maintenance of our own good estate and condition. Secondly, the good of others, especially those that are of our family or kindred. Thirdly, the relief of the poor. Fourthly, the maintenance of the Church of God and true religion. Fifth, the maintenance of the commonwealth. Totally absent from Puritan statements about money is the prevalent viewpoint of our own time that people are entitled to spend virtually all of their money, including enormous quantities of it, if they have it, on themselves and on extravagant goods and pleasures. The key to Puritan thinking about money is the doctrine of stewardship, the belief that people are stewards of what God has entrusted to them. William Perkins can again be trusted to summarize the Puritan outlook. They which have riches are to consider that God is the Lord of their riches, and that they themselves are but the stewards of God, to employ and dispense them according to his will. One of the most influential Puritan books called, uh, called money, quote, that which God hath lent thee. As I end this lecture on the subjects of work and money, I will say by way of summary that if we absorb what the Puritans actually said about work and money, as I have surveyed them, Puritan attitudes and practices were virtually the opposite of what is commonly ascribed to them. Further, the allegations regarding what the Puritans believed and practiced in regard to work and money are the projections onto the Puritans of much that is unsavory in modern and secular attitudes toward work and money. The Puritans were not the cause of our aberrations in these areas. They are the corrective. Okay, let me just add a few thoughts. I just want to summarize, uh, make sure you got this clearly. So, work and money in the Puritan mind had the same trajectories. We're stewards of both, and God loans both to us to use, number one, for His glory and the extension of His kingdom, and number two, for the common good, good of the poor, good of the church, good of extension of His kingdom, and then number three, for our own usage. That's the opposite, isn't it, of the world's philosophy. First, I spend extravagantly on myself, then I give a little leftover to the church and hope that God might do something, perhaps for His glory, with it. That maybe would be a, a nominal Christian view. Now, what that means is that the Puritans are not against running a good, successful business and making a lot of money. As long as you don't set your heart on the money itself and you use the money as God's steward. Um, listen to this statement of Richard Baxter. If God shows you a way in which you may lawfully get more money then in another way, without sinning against your own soul or anyone else's soul, if you refuse to do that and choose the less profitable way, 
You are crossing one of the ends of your calling and you are refusing to be God's steward. (laughs) You hear what he's saying. If you can actually make more money and you refuse to do it, you're crossing God's path to have you be a steward of more money entrusted to you. Isn't that interesting? So, they're picking up on the biblical principle that it's not money that is the root of all evil, though it can be dangerous, but it's the love of money for selfish ends. The love of money, Paul says, is the root of all evil. So here's the goal of your work and of money that you make from your work. I want to use it for God's glory I want to use it for the good of others. And I also want to use it in a, a moderate way for myself. Puritans were fond of that word moderation. Um, they said, work is a gift of God. Money is a gift of God. So we have to develop an ethic of grace, not an ethic of human merit. I don't take my money and say, now I've earned it and I deserve this, so I'm going to spend it on myself. I take my work and my money and I say, God has given me the gifts to do my work. He's given me the reward, the gracious reward of money for my work. Now I'm going to use it for His glory, for the good of the poor, for the good of the extension of His kingdom, and also for my daily living. Now, when it comes to living moderately, uh, the Puritans give us three thoughts. And Dr. Riken didn't touch on this, but I just want to share them with you before we close. Three words. First word is contentment. We need to be content to live with a moderate lifestyle. Whether we have um, a lot of money or middle class amount of money, We are to use it not to be extravagant upon ourselves, but to live moderately. Now, the Puritans said if a person has a lot of money, moderate living compared to what they may may mean that they live a little bit more of an extravagant lifestyle than a person who doesn't. You've got to live within your means. So they distinguish between a lower class, a middle class, and a higher class And they said, if you have a lot of money, it doesn't mean you can't spend a little more than a person who doesn't have as much money. But still, it should be within moderation. So there's a balance there that they were looking at. And then the second word that they mention is that of limit setting. Limit setting. In other words, you set limits to your own spending and indulgence. That is, you you don't ever spend all that you have on yourself and have very little left over for others. You tithe, of course, but if you have more money, you can also give more, and you should see that as a privilege and a joy. And... uh, When I read the Puritans on this, I can't help but think, actually, of our seminary, that the the most generous donors to our seminary, or who are people of some means, 
I have noticed in my life of fundraising is that every single one of them, without exception, have the attitude of stewardship that the Puritans have. They'll say things to this, like this to me. They'll say, sometimes they'll even say, don't, don't thank me. Don't thank me because this is actually God's money just channeled through me. I'm just a steward of it, you see. And when you see all of life's gifts, I'm not talking now just about money, but your work and, and, and your gifts and everything that God gives you, if you see that as a channel through which you can bring Him glory and do others good, you're living as a steward. And that's the biblical idea of the way to live. On the day of judgment, God will look at you and me and say, give an account of your stewardship. Stewardship. What have you done with what I have given you? And then the third word that they use a third key to moderation is to put wealth and pers- possessions in perspective. So the first word is uh, contentment. Be content with what God has given you. Second word is uh, limit setting. And the third word is perspective. What they mean by that is that all that God has given you needs to be put in perspective of His glory, of the good of others but also of eternity, because eternity is always the main thing, always the ultimate, to be ready to meet God in righteousness and peace. And so, in summary, when it comes to money, the Puritans said they saw it as a virtue, but it was a virtue that was to be used virtuously, that is, in contentment, with a moderate lifestyle, and in placing spiritual values over material wealth. Well, I hope those thoughts are helpful. Let's close in prayer. Gracious God of heaven, we thank Thee for the gift of work, and we thank Thee for the gift of money. And we do pray that Thou wilt help us to use both in a way of wisdom and generosity, seeking the good of others, especially the poor and the extension of thy kingdom through the church and through ministries that promote thy glory. And we thank thee above all for the supreme purpose of both, that we might exercise both our work and our daily labor and the reimbursement that we receive, the remuneration we receive for thy glory. So please go with us and help us to live our entire life as stewards of thy gifts and to keep eternity in view as a supreme goal to be ready to meet thee in the righteousness and peace of Jesus Christ. Please bless all the lessons we have uh, learned about the Puritans, also the other classes that Dr. Baradis taught and a few others this semester when I was gone. And uh, grant, Lord, that come fall, the Lord willing, as we continue this uh, course of understanding the teachings of the Puritans, that we will continue to be blessed.
And meanwhile, Lord, help us to live as good stewards of all that thou hast given us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. See you back in this class, the Lord willing, in September.